welcome to our Kingdom Culture Podcast. For today's message, we are thankful for what God is doing through this podcast to encourage and transform lives around the world. If you have a story to share about how God has encouraged or transformed your life through this podcast, we would love to hear about it by emailing us at mystory@kingdomculture.ca. If you would like to support this ministry financially to help us bring messages like this to you every week, you can do so online at kingdomculture.ca at the Give option. We also would love to connect with you on our social media, on Instagram and Twitter at KC Ottawa, and Facebook at Facebook slash Kingdom Culture Ottawa. We pray that you would experience God today and be encouraged through today's message. Enjoy! We're in this now. We're moving and transitioning into this theme of unpacking what it means for us as a house and individuals to get a revelation of generosity. How many want to be generous? I don't know anybody on the planet that doesn't want to be generous. Even the poorest of the poor that say, if I win the lottery, I'm going to give. Probably not. Because if you can't give out of what you already have, you're probably not going to give a lot if you win the lottery. Just saying. Because giving is more of a mindset. It has nothing to do with material possessions or something that you get. It has to do with the mindset that you already have. Because giving is not just centered around money. Right? A time, your skill, your, your love, your kindness, your, your support, your emotional support, you know, like, like your, your relationships. There's so many things, your skill sets, like stewarding your skill sets to help your neighbor. Like giving is, it cross-pollinates into so many different areas. And so we're going to unpack this a little bit. There's a verse actually in Romans 12, verse 8, talking about the gift of giving. I'm not going to go there, but there's actually a gift of generosity. And, and Paul, in, in all of his letters when it comes to the gifts, 1 Corinthians, Romans, Ephesians, well, not really Ephesians, it's a little bit different, part of Ephesians, yes, but, and, um, and uh, yeah, in 1 Corinthians, in all the letters where he unpacks the gifts of the Spirit in action in our life, he gives us the invitation to pursue them. So you may not feel like the most generous person in the room, but you can become generous. I believe that God is so good that if you ask for a gift of generosity, He can give it to you. I believe there are some things that may have to take place before you get there. But this word generosity in the Greek, in the original manuscript, in the Greek language, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, literally means to give without complication. How many know complicated givers? parameters, conditions. Well, God is a God who unconditionally loves us. It's an unconditional love. It's a non-complicated love. If God's love was only given to you in generosity when you were a good boy or a good girl, you'd be in trouble, right? Because the majority of the time, you would be without love probably. God is so loving that He loves you in your crap. He loves you in your mess. He loves you in your middle, when you're not where you should be and you're in the middle and you're in between seasons. He loves you no matter where you're at, who you are, what you believe. He loves you unconditionally. That is the epitome of generosity. No conditions attached to my love. I just love. Why? Because I am love. I don't want to just do generosity. I want to be generous. Very different. I want that to be part of my nature, right? I don't want to just do a generous thing. If you just do a generous thing one time, you aren't generous. You did a generous thing. I want to 
be generous. God doesn't just do love. He is love. Two different things. So generosity in this context is a, is a generosity that's without conditions. It's not overcomplicated. You don't have to think about it too hard. Yes, be led by the Spirit, but you don't have to think about it too hard. And God wants us to unpack what that looks like in this season of our lives, I believe, in so many different ways. And if you remember back in the beginning, our, our beginning of the year when I shared this, and you can go back, you can go online and watch it. The beginning of the year when I first shared this, this theme of the generosity part, I shared three types of generosity that God had shared with me regarding this context. And it was frugal generosity, generous generosity, and lavish generosity. You remember that? Only the hardcore remember that. I want to encourage you to go back to that. But I want to ask you this question. What happens when you're in a season and things have been going a certain way, there's been a certain flow in your life? You have a certain job, right? You have a certain flow of income coming in. You're in a certain relationship. You have a certain flow coming into your life from that relationship. You, you live in a certain rhythm of life, and then all of a sudden, that rhythm changes. What happens when the flow stops? What happens when the job changes, the contract ends? What happens? What do you do? Do you stop trusting that the same God who brought you that first flow can't bring you the next one? We get into our heads a lot, right? We get so used to a rhythm, it's like the pandemic threw everybody out of rhythm. It threw everybody out of rhythm, made them all crazy, all weird, made us all super paranoid about everything, right? It broke the rhythm. It broke even the value of being part of a church in person. It broke a rhythm. Now, that wasn't a good rhythm. Now, it did some good things. I believe that. I absolutely believe that some of what happened did some good things. But for the most part, for many, in many areas, it fragmented and fractured probably permanently many good things as well destroyed relationships families put them apart some of you still don't talk to your neighbors or talk to your families because they're still wearing masks outside by themselves no offense sorry i know that was offensive to somebody probably in the room but but there's probably still some tension in the room with some people in your life somewhere and it was because of what happened maybe in this last season. The flow stopped. What happens when the flow stops, when things begin to dry up, when things begin to shift? What happens when the career, the money no longer is there, the business, you started a business, the money no, no longer there. It's not coming the way that it came. I would venture to say this, that most setbacks in life when you're following God are just setups for something greater. Most things, most of the time when it feels like a setback in life, when you're following God and His plan, you're surrendering to Him, are just simply a setup for something greater. He has to prune the tree so you can bear more fruit. But in the pruning, we get lost and confused. And when we get lost and confused in the pruning, we think the tree is done. We think there's no more hope on the tree. The relationship is completely done. It's never going to recover. It's going to end in divorce. We think the negative because of the pruning, because the pruning really hurts. And it takes a mature person to see what God can do and is doing in the midst of the pruning. That I see this, this good thing. I'm being pulled back. It's so good. It sucks. I don't like it. 
It's like the, the manure that a, a, a farmer puts on the field. Like no one likes the smell, but it produces something good. And if you can push through the smell of the manure, you'll get a crop eventually. The shirt that I should brand, crop for a crop. We need that in our life, that pulling back often, the things to stop the way that it was, or, or inconvenient things to actually motivate or push us and thrust us forward into the thing that God really has for us. I want to read this scripture before we dive into this. Joshua 5, verse 10. Joshua chapter 5, verse 10. This is the context of, let me give you a little bit of context first. Remember, Israel has been 400 years in slavery in Egypt. Moses grew up in, in Egypt for 40 years, ended up doing some bad things, kind of got excommunicated from Egypt, fled the land, and uh, ended up working for his father-in-law for 40 more years. At the age of 80, he has this encounter with a burning bush. God calls him to go back into his, the land that he grew up in, basically, in Egypt, and deliver the people from bondage and from slavery. You know the story. God gave them a promise, and Moses a promise, that I will lead them through you into a land flowing with milk and honey. I will lead you into a promised land, a better life. So the transition begins to happen. I'm not going to go through all the details for time's sake. Forty years they're in a wilderness. They could have made it through in three weeks, but because of their disobedience, they were 40 years in a season they did not have to be in. And that just kind of sucks, doesn't it? To be in a season you don't have to be in because you just don't listen. That's the whole thing I was saying about surrender. I don't want to be in a season for 40 years that I don't have to be in. Yeah, eventually I'll get there, but 40 years too late potentially. It doesn't have to be that way if you just listen to God's instruction, right? So 40 years they're there, a whole generation dies off, Moses dies. Joshua is called to lead the people into the promise now. Joshua is the guy. He's not a young guy, by the way. He's an old guy at this point. And he's called to lead the people the rest of the way. And they cross over the Jordan, which was the transitional moment. Now, for 40 years, God had provided breakfast and dinner, supernaturally. 40 years. God provided supernaturally breakfast and dinner. And he introduced himself as, because you got to understand, 400 years, Israel was in Egypt, and they had been provided for by the Egyptians. Now, one can say that was God providing for them, sure, but he was coming through the hand of the Egyptians. Now, in the wilderness, God wanted them to see everything coming through his hand, directly. So, what happened was, every morning, they would wake up, Israel would wake up, and there would be like this honey wafer magically appearing on the ground. You're like, that's impossible. Exactly. It's called a miracle. And it was to teach the Israelites how to trust in him during that season to believe that he is the God of miracles because it would take a miracle to get them from a wilderness into a promised land after they'd been 400 years in slavery. So every morning they'd wake up to breakfast, they'd have quail at night, and they'd have bread in the morning. This is the direct reason and reference to why Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 6, when you pray pray this way and part of that prayer is give us this day our what daily bread that comes from the framing or the context of what happened in the wilderness because he was their daily bread 
Now, metaphorically speaking, he actually is talking about the spiritual sustenance that you need to live life on this earth as a believer. But he gave physical bread to Israel for 40 years. So that was the flow. That was how the flow happened. Think about how you started. When you started off your journey, you have had this like amazing encounter with God and God started to introduce himself as provider and he was providing supernaturally like you get a check in the mail, you got a money dropped off at your doorstep, man. Like I remember in the beginning of my ministry journey, like I like crazy things were happening all the time. I would pray in my mind, God, I'm I'm moving to Alaska. I moved to I lived in Alaska for a season. And I pray, God, I would love this is back in the days when phones didn't have cameras. God, I would love one of those cool digital, remember those digital cameras when they first came out? Like no film, it was like a big deal, plug in the USB into the computer, remember that? Like, I was like, I would love, I can't afford it, I'm moving to Alaska, I'm like a missionary at this point. I'm like, I got no money. And literally, I thought the thought, I prayed the prayer in my mind, two days later, within like a day or two, somebody knocks on my door, and there's nobody there, and an anonymous brown package is at my door. And I open it up, and guess what was inside of it? A digital camera. I had something like this happen, like, constantly. Constantly. I would have a dream about money coming in for a trip that I had no money for, and the next day, somebody would call me and say, I want to give you this for your trip. I mean, it was crazy. It was over and over again, hundreds and hundreds, and I've had this throughout my life because I've learned to trust God in these areas. But what happens when... Those things don't happen as much anymore. What happens when the flow stops? What do you do? What do you do? Well, this is what happened to Israel. They were so used to the way God provided that now they're crossing over into a new land, a new season. Can they expect, should they expect that God's going to provide them, to provide for them the same way? No, this is where we miss it so many times. When we transition into a new season, we can't expect God to do and be the same way he was in a previous season in a new season. You may have gotten by by renting and budgeting a certain way for your rent, but when you buy a house, you have to think totally different. You can't think as a renter. you got to think as an owner, and an owner thinks very different than a renter. You have to transition your mindset. But if you don't get that mindset right before you buy, you're in for a rude awakening. Because when you're having to pay for everything that your landlord used to pay for, you're in trouble, right? So the mindset has to shift. So God may provide for you one way in one season, but God needs your mindset to change so he can provide for you a new way in a new season. So I want to talk about this idea about moving into maturity when the flow stops. That when the flow stops in your life and things cease and they look different, this is what God is doing in and through you. He's moving you into maturity. He's maturing you to think different about your life. Watch this. Joshua chapter 5 verse 10. Let's go there. On the evening of the 14th day of the month, I already gave you context for where we're at now, okay? They've crossed over the Jordan River, which was the transitional moment, into the land of Canaan. Okay, the first city they were going to conquer was a city called Jericho. Okay, and when they got into and crossed over out of the wilderness season, begin in the beginning stages of the promise being fulfilled after 40 years. This is what happens Moses is dead, Joshua is leading the people on the evening of the 14th day of the month while 
while they camped at Gilgal on the plains of Jericho, the Israelites celebrated the Passover. Verse 11, the day after the Passover, that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land. It's like a first-time moment. We come into the land flowing with milk and honey, fruitful land. We're now eating from the land. They, they ate from the land. It says here, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened bread and roasted grain. Verse 12, the manna, listen to this, the manna stopped the day after they ate this food from the land. There was no longer any flow, any manna for the Israelites, but that year they ate the produce of Canaan. They went from eating the supernatural provision of God. Every morning they'd wake up and this honey wafer would show up on the ground. They called it manna. You know why they called it manna? Because in the Hebrew it actually means what is it? They didn't know what it was, so they called it manna. <laughs> they said, what is it? That's the name of it is. That's, that's the name what it, it is what it is. Like, what is it? I don't know what it is. Well, it is what it is. It's what is it? It's manna. It's what is it? I don't know what it is. That's the name for it. You're confusing me. No, it's like, who's on first? No, he's on second. It's the same principle. It is what it is. It's manna. We don't know what it is. We're calling it what it is. What is it? It's manna. They had what is it for 40 years. For 40 years, now all of a sudden, what is it stops. Manna stops. The day after they took from the land. Interesting. People always talk about this. The biggest battle that Israel had next was Jericho. It actually wasn't Jericho. The biggest battle was getting over an old mindset. That they went from supernatural provision and just being there to them now having to cultivate the land. I got to go from just picking up my daily bread, getting my daily quail at the end of the day to now actually planting, cultivating, creating wealth. Because God wants to move us into maturity when the flow stops. Let's read Exodus chapter 16 for a second here. This is the context just to give you some scriptural evidence to what I'm talking about. I'm not just, even though I am paraphrasing a lot of this, the whole Israelite community set out from Elam. Now this is when they came into the wilderness, okay? They came to the desert of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai. On the 15th day of the second month after they had come out of Egypt in the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. So now they're, they've transitioned out of Egypt. They've transitioned out of slavery. All the people are complaining. We had all our meals paid for. The Egyptians took care of us. Yeah, we were in slavery. Yeah, life kind of sucked. That's all we knew at that point. Yeah, we were slaves, but at least we had good food. At least we had some good food. Okay? In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us into this desert to starve this entire assembly to death. You ever felt like you were led into a season by God to starve? It's ever happened to you like, Things were good in one season. God says, okay, now I want you to quit your job by faith. You're going to build this big, amazing business. But he doesn't tell you how long it's going to take for it to even be close to equal what you were getting paid at your last job. Right? God, did you cause me to, cause me to quit this last season to only enter me into a season of starvation? That's what happened. They were complaining. Then the Lord said to Moses, I will rain down bread from heaven for you. This is the manna. I will rain down bread from heaven for you. The people are to go out each day and gather enough for that day. In this way, I will test them 
and see whether they will follow my instructions. So the manna, the daily bread, was really a test and was really a test of the heart to see if, that, if they would be obedient to follow the instructions because God had to get them ready. God, even though they got out of Egypt, Egypt didn't get out of them. Even though you get delivered from something, it doesn't mean that thing is out of you completely. You may leave an environment, but the influence of that environment is still within you. It takes time to work that environment out of you. That's why you give your life to Jesus, and all of a sudden it's all good in the hood, but there are still some things, rough edges. When I first gave my life to Jesus, I had some very, very rough edges still. Very rough edges. I remember being in Minneapolis with my mentor and leading a prayer meeting on the mic and swearing and somehow not thinking it was a big, a big deal. And I'm in a mega church of 5,000 people in the U.S., very different beast. I'm wearing a suit and tie to church on Sunday because I have to. And I had big, long dreadlocks back then. They'd make me put my hair up in a bun, take my earrings out. I had big, thick, gauge earrings. I looked like a criminal. That's why whenever I would go over the border anywhere, I'd be detained all the time. That just didn't look like a minister of the gospel. Like, what do you mean? Look at those shirts you're wearing. Where's your suit, son? Like, it happened all the time. I'm not actually joking. That happened all the time. All that to say is when you leave an environment, the environment doesn't always leave you. Although they left Egypt, Egypt didn't leave them. And God had to take them through a journey of renewing their mindsets to help them to think differently. Deuteronomy chapter 8 verse 3 says this, He humbled you, causing you to hunger, and then feeding you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had known. It was not known to any previous generation. To teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. That is the direct quotation that Jesus fought the devil with in Matthew chapter 4. He's in the wilderness desert, a wilderness desert again, with Satan himself for 40 days. It wasn't 40 years, but you see the interchangeability here. 40 years in the wilderness. God's teaching them how to live supernaturally. To not just live on food, but to trust God with everything he's going to do and say. And now 40 days, Jesus is in a wilderness season being tested by Satan himself, and Satan says to him, if you really are the son of God, turn this stone, what, into bread? What does he respond to Satan with? Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, I live, my sustenance, my nourishment is to do the will of him who sent me. And he said that in another scripture. He said that in John 6. My nourishment, my spiritual food is to do the will of him who sent me. How do I do that? John chapter 5 verse 19. To only do what I see my father doing. That's how I live my life out. That's my daily bread. You want your daily bread? It's not your physical bread, your physical food. It's what you actually need spiritually to align yourself to seek the kingdom first so everything else follows you. That's your spiritual food. Give us this day our daily bread. Give me what I need to be in line and in step with you so everything chases me that I actually need in life to live. Oh, it's so good. Yeah. The manna was so important. It's so, it was so important, you know, that there was this thing called the Ark of the Covenant. You've heard of that? Represented the presence of God. It was a big box. And I always say this. It's like, you know, Jesus 
you, people say, don't put God in a box. You're the one in a box. God has only been in a box once, and it was the Ark of the Covenant. God cannot be put in a box. We're the ones with limitation. But there was a box that represented the presence of God called the Ark of the Covenant. And there were three things in the Ark of the Covenant. You know what they were? One of them was a golden jar of manna. Because of what, when it represented the power of his provision, that in the presence of God, there is provision. One of the things was Aaron's staff that budded blossoms. Almond blossoms represents leadership, the priesthood. And of course, the other was the stone tablets, which is the instruction of God. Like we, the, These things are so much apart. We have the instruction, we have his leadership, and we have his provision when the presence of God leads us. I can, we got to unpack that more, but it was so important, this manna, that it was in the Ark of the Covenant. Exodus chapter 16, verse 35 says, The Israelites ate manna for 40 years until they came to the land that was settled. They ate manna until they reached the border of Canaan. So if something has stopped in your life, I would propose this to you, that you are at the border of your promise. If something has all of a sudden shifted in your life, that you are at the border of something brand new in your season and season of life. If something is not working the way that it used to in your career, and all of a sudden things are drying up, you are at the border of your Canaan. And if you give up prematurely, you will miss out on the breakthrough that he has for you. So if you feel like something has set you back, realize this today, that God is setting you up, and you might be at the precipice, at the very edge of pushing through in a whole new way. For all the business people out there, for all the leaders, for all the relationships out there, for all the leaders of families, parents out there, whatever it is you're going through, know that God is so good that if a flow has stopped in your life, that there is a manna that has ceased in your life, it's because he's getting you ready to enter into a new level, a new dimension. Some of you feel that in the room. And I want to say this like this for us this morning. Don't mistake the way God moves in the beginning of your journey to how he will move in the middle of your journey. Don't try to bring in old methodology into a new season. It won't work. Moses tried to do that, and he was banned from leading Israel into the promised land. God is always doing things a new way to keep us on our feet. And so when something dries up, just trust that something is happening, setting you up. I want to give you three quick points here. I went a lot longer on my on-ramp here. But number one, write this down. When the flow stops, we need our mindset to change. We need to, number one, cultivate it. We went from supernatural provision. Now God's like, now... I'm giving you land to cultivate. I provided for you supernaturally on the land. Now I'm giving you the tools and the work ethic and the values to occupy the land, to cultivate the land, to steward, to dig, to plant. You see the difference? But that's a mindset change. I don't want to work. I just walked around for 40 years. My lunch and my breakfast and my dinner were provided. I don't want to put the time in. It's too hard. Life is hard. And God brings you to the end of a flow. Things aren't going the way that they used to go. And God's like, because now I want to teach you what it looks like to create your own crop. 
It's a whole different mentality. Cultivating the ground. Now, let me say this. I believe this. Write this down. There are seasons of introduction, and then there are seasons of, seasons of instruction. There are seasons where God introduces himself in such a way to solidify your revelation of who he is in his nature. Blows your mind. All things are new. You're like a honeymoon stage with God. It's like a relationship, right? It's like, all, it's like you've been introduced. It's like the introduction phase is so eye-opening. But then there are seasons when it moves from introduction of who he is to instruction. Now I'm going to instruct you. You're going to cultivate the land. I gave you the food you needed on top of the land. Now you're going to cultivate the land. And the only way you're going to get wealth in this next season is to listen to my instruction. The only way you're going to live and live life and sustain is to listen to my instruction. Listening to my instruction is actually the gateway or the doorway to my provision. Before you just woke up, gathered your food, right? There was no even need to pray about provision. You see the difference? They didn't have to pray about provision. They had everything that they needed. They're walking around in their caravan, you know, all day long in the heat, you know, living the dream, probably not, but they have their food provided at least for them. It's like a permanent Mandarin buffet every day. Not too good, but maybe not too bad, enough for what they need for their journey. You know, they, 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 they got what they need, but now God's shifting them. Because we often want introduction when God is saying it's a season of instruction. Because when the instruction comes to do the impossible thing, like, hey, now I want you to go conquer a city, and I'm going to provide for you. They're like, oh, heck no, I'm not going there. But, but I'm going to give you the instruction so that you win. But they hadn't done that before. See, the biggest battle wasn't conquering Jericho, which was the first city they had to conquer. The biggest battle was getting through a mindset that they'd been so used to for 40 years and taught by their ancestors. Went from slavery to wilderness to wilderness to like, I actually have to do some stuff to create my own wealth now. That's a big jump. That's a big, that's a big generational curse to break right there right? If there was ever a generational curse to break. It's like 440 years of, of all kinds of junk to break off going into the promised land. Are you with me? And I say all this to say, this is why Deuteronomy 8, chapter 8, verse 18 is so important. Because Deuteronomy, the book of Deuteronomy, the entire book of Deuteronomy, was a book really dedicated to preparing Israel in the transition season to move from wilderness into promise. And in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, it's a verse you all may know very well. He says this, but remember the Lord your God when you get, the premise is when you get into the promised land. When all of a sudden you start seeing produce everywhere, big fruit, big grapes, and, and everything you need, milk and honey, it's all there. No more desert, no more dry ground, no more sand. Like you got clothes now, I mean, you got plunder, you got stuff, you got money. Remember, he says this. Remember the Lord your God, for it is He. It is still He. The way that He did it in the wilderness still comes from Him. It's still initiated by Him. He still is the source. Remember, it is He who gives you the ability, the ability. You see this? The power. The word is power. He gives you the ability, the grace, the power to get wealth now. In one season, 
he gave you just simply, he woke you up in the morning and it was right there. But in the next season, you're going to have to have the ability and the power to create and cultivate. Cultivate wealth. He says, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth or cultivate or create and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. The power to develop it. Are you with me? This is the John, John, this is the John 10, 10. This is the spirit of John 10, 10, 10. Jesus said, I've, I've come to give you life and life abundant. An abundant life. Co-labor with me and you'll see that abundant life. Remember, the day that they, the day after they ate from the land and first tasted of this new season, the manna stopped the next day. The moment you taste, the moment you begin to taste of the new season, the previous season methodology will cease. Don't wonder why. Expect something great to come out of it. When the flow stops, we need our mindset to change. We need to, number one, cultivate it. Number two, write this down, conquer it. Write that down, conquer it. We cultivate. This is what happened to Israel. Now they're going to conquer. They're going to begin to cultivate. They're going to begin to create. They're going to begin to co-create with God. They're going to begin to plant. They're going to begin to till the ground. They're going to begin to eat from the produce. But now they're also going to take dominion and conquer. And this is the Genesis 1 chapter 126. This is the, the call over all humanity from the beginning of time to take dominion. It's not a bad thing. As a believer in Jesus, you were always destined to have dominion because of who you are and whose you are. The Bible calls you an ambassador. The Bible calls you a citizen of heaven. You are a co-laborer with Christ. You are seated with Christ in heavenly places. You share an inheritance. You are called to take over, not in a negative way, but to have dominion, to establish his kingdom in the land. That's what dominion is, to establish his kingdom. It's Matthew chapter 6, that as it is in heaven, that your kingdom would come, your will would be done as it is in heaven. That's called dominion right there. The word kingdom, broken down, is the king's domain, the king's dominion. When you invite the king into your situation, guess what happens? Dominion, his dominion takes over. His domain overthrows an inferior domain. He's the superior one. Everything else is the inferior one. The government isn't the uh, superior one. It's his kingdom. His kingdom is the superior one. And when his kingdom comes, Jesus said to the disciples, when you pray, pray this way, that my kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. He said that because so much of our life is lived in another dimension that isn't supposed to be. We live in a dimension ruled by just people in general. But God has called us to let his kingdom come to be the leader of our life. As it is in heaven, there's no depression in heaven. There's no sickness in heaven, right? Families are healed. So when you pray, my kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven, what you're saying is, God, let healing happen. Let heal my marriage. Restore my family. Help me to get this job. Like, you're just simply appropriating your rightful place in dominion, bringing his dominion to the earth. There are things we need to conquer, challenges we need to conquer, tests we need to conquer, obstacles we need to conquer. And it's hard. It's hard. Let me just read Joshua chapter 6. So here now we're, they're in the, are you guys with me still? Are you okay? Give me a few more minutes here. Joshua chapter 6. Now they're 
they begin to cultivate their, their, their mindsets changing. The first big challenge, now they're like, okay, God's like, you're going to conquer Jericho. You're going to conquer Jericho. It says, verse 1 of chapter 6, now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have delivered Jericho into your hands along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. On the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear the sound of a long blast of the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up and everyone straight in. What a weird instruction. If you don't think God is weird, you don't know God. Because weird is our way of saying it's not logical. Nothing God does, if you read the Bible, nothing God does is logical or at least makes sense to our logic. Like he's very illogical. You know what I'm talking about? Like very illogical. God says, give to receive. You want to be first, be last. You want to go higher, lower yourself in humility. Like everything is the opposite of the world. And Paul echoed that in Romans chapter 12. Don't be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, like this is the upside down kingdom we live in. And so God's instruction often feels ridiculous to us. Ridiculous to us. Ever one time God said to us, Michelle and I, after we've been saving for so long, this is like years and years ago, and we were about to move and we were we actually we hadn't moved, bought a house yet, but we were moving, about to move into another a new, new house and and we've been saving, saving for our current house that we were living in, that we were going to renovate and do all this stuff. So we'd saved this like egg of money, like a five-figure egg. And it was like over time we'd been saving, saving, saving. And one day, what, you know, when we were lost our building, God was like, I want you to give that entire savings account into an offering as you move into this next season. It was the season where we got the news that we had to leave and become a mobile church where we, when we were at the Costco over there before it was a Costco. And God said, I want you to sow that entire savings account. That was like, that was like our, our everything. We were like counting on that to buy new furniture, renovate a little bit, but mostly it was for furniture in our, our current house. And uh, God's like, I want you to give. And I remember we sowed that seed in tears. I remember we, I cried that day. I don't know why. There was not because I was letting it go, but because I knew something special was happening. We sowed that seed. And at that time in our life, it was the biggest thing we'd ever given. It was the biggest one-time gift that we'd ever given in an offering. It was a big stretch of faith. But God said to do it. So we've done this many times before. We did it. And uh, just one year later, one year later to the week in the same month that we gave that, we were about to move into our new house within three months, and we started to plan what we were going to do and buy for furniture. One year later, later, to the week in the same month when I gave that offering, a businessman sat me down who did not know anything, did not know what we had done, sat me down at a coffee shop, doesn't even go to our church, and said, I don't know why, Sean, but my wife and I feel we are to buy you all brand new furniture for your new house. We want to completely furnish your new house. And he gave us, they, they get brand new, they gave us over $20,000 worth of brand new furniture. I wake up in my house and I see the faithfulness of God because I see what got me there. 
You're like, that doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. But when you follow God's instruction, you win every time. When you don't, you lose. I don't know what would have happened if I was disobedient in that moment. God said, give it all, son. I'm like, okay. <laughs> okay. So God's given them instruction, go into Jericho, and this is how you're going to win. This is how you're going to do it. But if you know the story, they weren't completely obedient. They did the thing. The walls came crashing down. They occupied. They conquered. But there's one thing that God said around this first conquered city that all the plunder, all the wealth, all the iron, bronze, silver, gold, it all belongs to me and to be brought into my treasury. It was like the old, it was like the before the temple treasury, which was like the, let's call it the offering plate, so to speak. There was a treasury in Jesus' time. There was a treasury before King Nebuchadnezzar ransacked the first temple. There was a treasury. In that treasury was gold, silver. There was crop. It was called the storehouse of God. And said they, God said, listen, like you're going to conquer all these cities. You're going to have plenty of time. You're going to have plenty of cities. You're going to have plenty of wealth. You're going to create so much wealth. There's going to be so much grain, so much food. You're going to have it all. Land flowing as milk and honey. It's my promise. But the first thing, the first one belongs to me. And if you would just listen to that, every other thing will go well with you. They didn't listen. Brings me to my third point. Number three. We're almost done. This is it. Last one. Cultivate it. Conquer it commit it. These are the mindset changes that we have to have when we're moving into a new season. When the flow stops. The third one is commit it. So now let me just go to Joshua, back to Joshua 6, verse 18 to 19 for a second. The one instruction in the context of the instruction that God gave them to conquer Jericho, there was one caveat and it was in verse 18. He says this, do not take any of the things set apart for destruction or you yourselves will be completely destroyed and you will bring trouble on the camp of Israel. Everything made from silver, gold, bronze, or iron is sacred to the Lord and must be brought into his treasury. Interesting, isn't it? Like, does God really need the silver, bronze, and metal, precious metals? Does God really need it? No, but he knows it's valuable to you. And God has always been more interested in your heart than he is in your money or your stuff. But he knows that your stuff and your money has your heart. So if he can focus on the money and the stuff, hopefully he can get to your heart. I don't need the iron, God says. I don't need the gold. I don't need the silver. It's all my creation anyways. Why do I want it? Because in the end, I know it has you. And if it can come from you, I end up having you in the end. What has you ends up holding you if you hold on to it. But if you would let it go to me, I'll get a hold of your heart. Because remember, it is me who gives you the power to give you wealth. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. It's my instruction. And so what happens here? Is this is actually, interestingly enough, I didn't even know this, but it's the law of first mention. I, I, the law of first mention in Scripture is when something is first mentioned for the first time, very, pay, pay very, very close attention to it. 
it sets a precedent for all of scripture. But the one thing that I never realized that I was like, wow, and I, I love the scripture because God, the Holy Spirit keeps opening it up more and more every day, is that this is the first place ever in scripture treasury is mentioned. The first time that God mentions the treasury. Even though there was one, it's the first time. And it was one of the most transitional moments in history, you guys. From like 400 and something years of slavery and promises, even beyond 400 years, back to Abraham. Of like the promise over Abraham. Of what would be for his ancestors and descendants fulfilled through Israel one day. Like hundreds and millennia, hundreds and hundreds of years go by and this is the first time when they're in the most historical transition ever, the first city that Israel conquers. God's like, I want the whole, I want it all. It's mine. It's mine. But it says in Joshua chapter 17 or 7 verse 1, but Israel violated the instructions about the things set apart for the Lord. A man named Achan had stolen some of these dedicated things. So the Lord was very angry with the Israelites. So it was one guy. One guy decided to be the weak link in the chain. One guy decided to be like, you know what, I, I really need this stuff for my family. I, I'm going to take it. I'm going to take the gold, take some silver. I'm going to hide it. No one's going to know about it. But you really think no one's going to know about it? God sees the heart. All he cares about is the heart. So all he sees is the heart. Doesn't care about your money, doesn't care about your cars, doesn't care about your stuff in that way. He cares about your heart. Does he have your heart? Because if these things have you, they have your heart. He doesn't have them. He doesn't have you. So Achan steals and, and, and doesn't offer it back to God. And guess what? The whole community is punished. The whole community, guess what? The next battle they fought, they lost. And they lost because of this. They lost because they didn't listen to the instruction. There was still some old introduction mindsets back from the wilderness in their mindsets. Like gather. Like I got to get enough manna even for the next day potentially. But if you know the story of the manna, if they gather too much manna the next day, it'd be rotten. So like just gather enough for what you need. But there was an old mindset like survivor, like scavenger, savage. Like I'm just going to, and no one's going to know about it. And the whole community suffered. They lost the next battle because of disobedience. I would propose this to you. I'm going to make a radical statement right now. I'm going to make, maybe it's not radical to you. But for some of you, it might be radical. I would propose. Let me not propose it yet. <clears throat> I'm going to propose this to you. That's how my process works. I'm like the Holy Spirit. Like, okay. I would propose that one of the main reasons why the church is not at the center of society like it's supposed to be. And when I say church, listen, people always misinterpret. I got in an argument with somebody on social media about this a long time ago. Like, so ridiculous. When I say church, I'm not saying the religious organized infrastructure. I'm talking about the people of God that make up the body of Christ, okay? Okay? Again, the, the, the infrastructure is going to hurt you. You're going to get hurt. You know, you're going to get hurt. Everyone's going to get hurt. I'm hurt by the church all the time. I'm hurt by you all the time. We're hurt by each other. It's a friendship. It's a relationship. We're hurt. We're offended. We have to move forward. Right? we got to grow some, like, 
kahunas and move forward, you know, eventually. Like, you're going to get offended. Go into business. Go into, someone's going to bother you, you know. Go into Starbucks. You'll be bothered. Go into Tim Hortons. You'll be bothered. Go somewhere. You'll be bothered. It's going to happen. But I would propose this, that the reason why the church is not at the center of society and culture like it's supposed to be is because collectively, people are not trusting God with their finances, with their time, and with their gifts. So there's a small group of them that are, but the rest aren't. And so as a result, the fullness of what God wants to be in the church, the people of God in a city isn't there and active. And just like the whole community, hear this out, was punished for one man's action, for one man not listening to God's instruction, the whole community couldn't win the next battle. Let me just say it like this. If we as a community, I'm speaking to us now, those that call KC their home, if we as a community don't collectively understand the value of bringing our tithes and offerings, bringing our gifts, bringing our time into the storehouse of God, the treasury of God in this next season, we will not conquer the next battle of the next one. Because it's never about a few, it's about the whole. It's not about the arm of the body of Christ, it's about the body of Christ. Remember? Talk about this, this picture of like the body of Christ like a zombie, like the leg's not working, the arm's working, but the ankle's not working because they're not playing their part. Well, Achan decided to not play his part and the whole community suffered. As a result, they lost the next battle. I would propose that we're not going to get a building until our community rises up to another level of generosity. I would propose that we're not going to win the battles in culture unless all of us are all in understanding our role in the body. And you may be like, well, I'm not called to the body of Christ. Yes, you are if you are in Christ and you're in relationship with him. You can't escape it. It's just a matter of are you stewarding and utilizing what God has given you to contribute to other people's future and purpose. Because every time you don't act the way you're supposed to in the context of community, you're robbing God and robbing people of your blessing. I'm definitely going longer here. I'm almost done. But I, I feel like a spirit, I can feel, I feel like God's wisdom on, on what's happening right now in the room. I can feel the wisdom of God. I can feel the revelation of God on what's happening in the room. And I'm believing that God is shifting us from just introduction. God's, you know, in the pandemic, let me just say this, in the pandemic, I would say for us as a house, you know, we've been doing this. I've been in ministry for 20 years now. And uh, as a church, we've been 11 years. And uh, I would say as a church community, as a church community, we've been in a, I would say, a manna season for 11 years. I would say the pandemic also felt like a manna season. There was like, for the first time in 11 years, we had actual breathing room. All the loss that we'd been through, all the stuff. I mean, financially, it can get intense in a season like that pandemic was actually great in some way for us but I'm now I'm now declaring that that season is ending and there needs to be a Deuteronomy 8 chapter after 8 verse 18 spirit that comes on this house 
to say we're going to cultivate and do this together and build this together and that may mean we step up in our faith together in the area of our generosity financially in the area of our generosity in our time and our skill and coming together and being the body of Christ in fullness like we can that's what I would suggest to you because God wants it all. It's not about God needing you or needing your time or needing your skill. He desires you. Because he knows when you give your skill and you give your time and you give your finances, it changes your heart posture. It turns your heart towards him. Money is one of the only things in culture and in the body of Christ that solidifies at some level I trust in God. Because it's an action, right? It's a physical action. You can go to your day, you can do your job, make your money, you can, you know, say a prayer once in a while, do your devotion, you know, read the Bible once in a while, do your token Christian thing, go to church once in a while, you know, once every six weeks, you can do your thing. So you feel good about yourself. But where is faith actually happening? Well, for some people, the only time faith is actually happening is when they trust God with their finances. Because they're not sharing the gospel on the bus. They're not talking to, to people at the coffee shop about their faith. They're not doing really anything to step out in faith. It's the only thing. That's why Jesus said it's the one thing you can test me in. You can test me that I'll take care of you if you just trust me. And this is what Israel missed on their first battle. Interesting, isn't it? I believe we are at a Jericho moment. I believe we are at a Jericho moment as a house. I want you to stand up with me. I want to close with this. In everything that I've just said, this verse in John chapter 6, verse 58, speaking about Jesus, that he ultimately is the bread that came down from heaven. It says, your ancestors ate manna and died, but whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus is your manna. In the end, no matter where you're at in life, he is your manna. He is your bread. He is your sustenance. He is the one that's going to make it work out for you in your marriage, make it work out for you in your finances, make it work out for you in every facet of life. He's the one. And we can't forget, but I just believe this, that in this season, for him to be the one that we need him to be in our season, we have to have a listening ear, a surrendering heart. Maybe you're in this room right now just and you, you were brought here by somebody and you don't know what would happen to you if you were to die today, I just want to give you an opportunity. The best relationship that you could ever have, the sweetest one you could ever have and know is Jesus in relationship. It's not a religion. It's not buying into a social club. It's buying into a relationship with the one who created you with a purpose so you can fulfill that purpose. And he's in the room right now. He wants to get into those hard places of your heart, knock down those doors this morning. And if you're in this place, Romans 10, all, Paul says this, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Simply opening up your life today and saying, Jesus, I'm all in, I surrender. Just close your eyes just for a few moments. I want us to say this together. Say, Jesus, we believe you're God. I want you in my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. In this season of my life, I receive your forgiveness. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to be in relationship with you. Moving forward in Jesus' name. If you said that for the first time and you meant it, it's the most powerful thing you could ever pray and say 
And I want to encourage you to meet, hang out with some of our team at the end and, and just tell them we have a gift for you to help you along your journey. But just as we close out in worship, I know I went way longer than I ever go. I just felt like I couldn't, the train couldn't stop. I just couldn't stop the train. It was like, I couldn't stop it. Um, I want to encourage you to take some action in this season. If you call kingdom culture your home, I want to encourage you, ask the Lord, okay, what can I do in my finances, in my time, in my gifts? How can I steward what you've given me? How can I be that member of the community that actually strengthens the community in this season? Maybe for some of you, maybe financially you've never trusted God. Maybe you trust God with your finances, but maybe it's a whole other level of trusting God with your finances in this season. I don't know what it is for you, but I want to encourage you to step out in this season and listen to his instruction and you watch what takes place. Let's close out. Just lift your hands one last time as we close out. God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you, God, that today is a good day, that today you're moving us into something fresh. We're at the precipice. We're at the line. We're at the land, the new land, the new season in Jesus' name. God, I pray that you would change the mindset that you would alter the mindset, that you would alter the perspectives today, that you'd alter our financial perspectives, our emotional perspectives, our relationship perspectives, that you would alter those things that hold us down and hold us back this morning in Jesus' name.